Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad uh, to be here with you. I hope you're glad to be here as we continue our series titled You Pick, where we're um, answering the questions that you sent in from a biblical perspective. This week, here's the question we're answering. It says, why do we pray if God already knows our paths and outcomes and our needs? Why do we pray if God already knows what's going to happen? And this is just a great question. I'm glad it was put in. It's one that I'm sure many of us ask, ask. But when I think about this, prayer, and I think about this topic in general, I have to be honest, I immediately start well, beating myself up. See, I've, prayer, I've studied prayer quite a bit. I need to study prayer a little bit more. I need to probably teach on it a bit more. But as soon as I start Thinking about it, I feel inadequate, I feel unsuccessful, I feel like a failure, because if you start reading the prayers of these old, old saints almost, you just see these long, amazing, eloquent, beautiful prayers. And I compare that to my prayers, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I read books on prayers about how people spend hours, that was plural, by the way, hours in prayer, and I go, wow. And you just hear all these stories and all these things, so I immediately start to feel convicted that perhaps my prayer life isn't good enough, and I start feeling ashamed, and I don't know about you, but if I start feeling guilty and ashamed, well, I don't like those feelings, do you? So I'll immediately stop thinking about it pretty quick. But this week, because one of you decided to ask the question, I had to sit in those emotions this week, and I had to think about it, and I had to pray about it, and I had to work through those different things. But have you ever felt like that about prayer? You ever felt maybe your prayer life isn't as good as other people's? Maybe you've heard people's long, long, long prayers. They talk about every possible thing you can imagine. You just go, oh my goodness. Or you, or you hear them speaking in old English, and you wonder, God, is that how you hear? If I speak in King James, like, is that, is that the secret to prayer, they change their voice. You ever heard someone who changes their voice when they pray? You go, is that either I'm stepping on toes or you haven't heard people pray? I don't know which one this is. Maybe you do both. You get a deep voice and you start using these and those. I don't know. But maybe you have questions about prayer. So if you think you could do better or perhaps should do better, I hope that this sermon helps you, hope it will inspire you, and we're going to go over a model at the end that hopefully can help you maybe work on your prayers, and at least, at least if you pray this way that we're going to talk about and we look at, at least you know you've, you've done the full circle and you're praying at least the way you should pray. So back to our question. Why do we pray if God already knows our paths and outcomes and our Needs And there are so many different ways we could have taken this question. It could have taken it very philosophical, which would have been not helpful at all. So we chose the more helpful uh, part of, of prayer and teaching us how to pray. But luckily for us, we can answer this question part on of what we learned last week. If you weren't here last week, you should have came to church. 
That's all I got to say about that, okay? But we learned last week about the providence of God, and we learned that God created the world. We learned that God cares for the world, that God governs the world, God preserves the world. Now, how much? Well, we're not going to talk about that right now, but we, heard, we know that that's what providence speaks to is his care. But there's another thing this question speaks to because we see the needs part. That's what this is about. Providence is about needs. But another thing this question speaks to is about the sovereignty of God. Right? And we've talked about this before is that God is sovereign. That means he's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. But for whatever reason, more than likely free will, God limits himself when it comes to us. He limits himself. He allows us to make choices, and we know that those choices have consequences, but yet we know that he is fully sovereign, so it's this dilemma. It's this this paradox we face that God is fully sovereign, but yet we're responsible for our actions. And where that line is, we don't know. It gets blurred and gets all weird, so we have this idea of his providence that he cares for us, and we have this idea that God is sovereign and all-powerful, but in that we see that humans, we, well, we have to make choices, And our choices have consequences. And so when we get to this question, it's actually asking about both of those things. We can break it down like this. Why pray if he already knows our needs and cares? I threw care in there for providence. But why pray if he already knows our needs and cares for us? And the idea is that if God cares for us and he knows our needs, because we have a loving God who cares about us, he's the providential part. If if that's already there, then why even pray? All right, you see that there in that question? Then we have, well, I pray if he already knows the past and outcomes. Meaning, if he already knows everything, why even talk to him about it? I mean, he already knows. Aren't we just repeating information back to him? And what's being asked is, so how does prayer work with the, how do we interact with God's sovereignty and God's providence? And I found something helpful this week. Here it is. It says this. This isn't a quote, but it's a summary. It says, God knows the outcomes, but God has also determined the means by which the outcomes will take place. So God knows the outcomes. He knows what's going to happen. Of course, he is is God, and he's all-powerful, and he's in control, but he's also, well, he's determined the means, and the means he's determined by which many of these things will take place is what? Through what? Well, prayer, Sam Storm says it this way. He says, we must never presume that God will grant us, apart from prayer, what he has ordained, uh, ordained to grant us by the only means of prayer. Meaning we, met, we must never assume that God's just going to give us things or do things if we don't pray because he has told us to what? Pray. Right. Illustration may help. For instance, my kids, I can read them pretty well. They're still fa- fairly young. And especially my oldest, I can usually figure out what he's trying to manipulate me to do. Did y'all have a manipulator in your family? I happen to be one in my family, so I can spot one in a second. And I can see my oldest son. I said, I know what he wants. But guess what? I won't give it to him. Those runaround questions, those impromptu things he tries to get me to do, I go, uh-uh. What's he have to do? Ask. The right way. And so I know what he needs. I know what he wants. But there's something about him coming to me and saying, hey, Dad, can I? And speaking in full sentences. Now, I have my reasons for that. And I assume God has his reasons for why he wants us to pray. But prayer is something that we don't have to try to defend and try to figure out why is it useful because who told us to do it? God. And so if God tells us to do something, we just assume it's the right thing to do because he is right God. But however it works out, the truth is, is we don't pray 
we don't pray for God. We don't pray for God to know our needs. We don't pray for God to know what's going to happen. We pray for whom? Us. So the bottom line, the big idea we're going to work through is this. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. You see, the primary reason we pray is to build, develop, and maintain our relationship with God. Prayer, this is how I understand it, prayer is all about your relationship with God. Because remember, one of the theological foundations for our faith starts at the very, very beginning, that in the beginning God created. And remember, he created humans to share a special relationship with him. We are like the grand finale at the fireworks show coming up this weekend, right? We are the end. We are the biggest, the best. And we shared this relationship, and we were made in his image. Do you remember that? We were made in the image of God, and we were to manage this world on his behalf as stewards. He is God. We are not. Remember, we were never created as equals with God. You ever thought about that? How we treat like he's one of our pals? We'll get to that. We're not equals with God. We were created under God. We are the creator, created, he is the creator. So we are simply stewards to manage the earth on his behalf. He's in charge. He sets the rules for our relationship. And what's crazy is that the creator God of everything, the cosmos, wanted a relationship with you and I. So in the beginning, he created man to have fellowship with man. You know this, but what broke it? Sin. Sin distorted that relationship with God, so we were no longer in communion. We no longer had this, this, this great relationship, the disobedience and the sin. It, it broke that. Fast forward a little bit, and we see throughout the Old Testament that he constantly calls the people of God to be the people of God. If you're going to be my people, then act like it. If you're going to be my people, then act like it over and over again. And then we see Jesus, the fulfillment of Israel, the one who actually put off this whole perfection. He died for you and I. He redeemed us. He paid the price for our sins. But not just because, not just so we could go to heaven, but to restore that relationship with God. So we could be the people we were always supposed to be. People who lived in fellowship with the holy God. People who lived under God. People who did what God wanted us to do to reflect him. Remember, we're created like angled mirrors. We reflect God's goodness and greatness in the world. And then we take all the goodness and greatness in the world and we sing it back up to him in praises. That's what we were designed for. That's what we were created for. So because of Jesus, we are born again. Right? All things are new. We can develop and grow in a relationship with God like we were always supposed to. To have. Apart from God in a relationship with God, we don't make sense. That's what we are for. And as you know, or you will find out the hard way, communication is the key to any great relationship. Is it not? Wives, stop bumping your husband. I got something for them in a little bit, okay? Communication is the key to any great relationship. And this isn't a coincidence. This isn't just an accident. This is how God created the world. Look at this quote. I found it, I found it pretty good. It says this. The foundational presupposition of all prayer is that God reveals himself personally 
and by means of language. I never thought about it this way. God creates the cosmos with words. He creates us with words. He calls to us. He speaks to us. He whispers to us using what? Words. Then he gives us his human creatures, the gift of language. We not only can hear and understand God as he speaks to us, we can also speak to him, respond, answer, converse, argue, question. We can pray. You see, language and speaking and prayers, they're all gifts from God. And since we were created in the image of God, right, not through some evolutionary process that just happened by accidents, we too share in language to communicate with God. This, of course, is the foundation to understanding the inspiration of Scripture, that he chose to speak to us, that he communicated to us, that we have a God that doesn't just up there somewhere, hey, guess if I'm happy or not. We have a God who chose to reveal himself through Scripture and then, of course, in the person of Christ so we could understand him. Prayer, then, is our part, our part, in developing and maintaining and that relationship with God. Communication, right, is the key to any good relationship. Communication is about sharing our feelings. Communication is about trying to understand where the other person is coming from. And through communication, you know this, trust is built. Trust, if you don't have trust, you're not going to have a relationship, are you? It just won't happen. You have to have trust in order for a relationship. How do you build trust? Through communication, by sharing our feelings, by trying to understand the other person, working through all that. Being understood, if you didn't know this, being understood and loved for who you are is what every single human being wants on this, on this planet. So it's our job in, in the process of communication is to understand how someone's feeling, to understand them, to share our feelings, trust them with that, let them own that, and then share themselves in this, this whole process. It's what relationship building is all about. And we see throughout Scripture, God has already done his part. He has shared with us how he feels. Look at these verses. Psalms 7:11. God is a righteous judge, a God who's, who's display his wrath every day. We're like, no, we don't like that emotion, the whole wrath, anger part. He can keep that one. No, but it's on display every day, it says. Psalms 135:14. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Aren't you glad we have a God who has compassion? He's merciful and gracious. I am. Psalm 78, 40. How often are they rebelled against him in the wilderness? They have grieved him. You can grieve God in the wasteland. Then we have 1 John 4, 8 says this. Whoever does not know God, excuse me, whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love, that's the one we absolutely all know, that, that verse, right? Isaiah 65, excuse me, 625 says, As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, that's God, of course, marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God rejoices over us. I mean, God has shared how he feels and what makes him upset and what angers him or what pleases him and what he approves. He has not only shared his feelings, he has shared himself with us. We can think about him. We can grow in him. We can try to understand God. And he's done all this by communicating to us. 
telling us what he's like, by sharing how he feels about things. He has done his part. And this has to be mind-blowing. And we take this you know, for granted, especially if you grew up in the church. You've heard that God loves you and God cares about you your whole life, but this is mind-blowing. I mean, if you think about it, look at any other religion out there. Ours is very unique in the sense that God wants a personal relationship with every single person. It is amazing that God wants to listen to your prayers. He wants to hear what's going on inside of you. Yes, he already knows, but if I told my wife, well, you already know I love you, so... So I don't need to tell you anymore. Would that work? Let's take a poll. See if I can get away with this. There's only one vote that really matters. It wouldn't work. I'll tell you that much. All right, just because somebody already knows doesn't mean you don't share. It's the communication. It's the relationship that builds this. If you're married, you know this already. I'm trying to help those who aren't married or haven't been married to work through these things. It's just the way it works. You see, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. You and I, that's why we pray. We then think about prayer as our part in developing our relationship with God. And if you struggle with sharing your feelings, if you struggle with being vulnerable and open, if you aren't good at communicating with your spouse, with your family, start with God. Start sharing your feelings. Start sharing what's going on. When you start doing that through prayer and you start practicing that, guess what may become natural for you? Right, because there's a great chance if you're not doing it with others, you're not doing it with God. I just got to say it. If you're closed off to everyone else, you're probably closed off to God. Do you understand when we share ourselves with God, we develop that habit, we develop that, that ability to express our feelings, to express what's going on. That will then not only go with me and God, it will then start going with other people. Here's how I feel. Here's what's going on. So start practicing. Start developing those habits. Start expressing yourself because you are more like God when you express your feelings than when you were closed off. And I know, for you men out there, I know that sharing our feelings seems girly. I mean, nothing bad by that I'm talking to men right now. I know we're told that it's girly and it's not manly. But I ask you to think of another category. Think of godly. Don't shoot for being manly or girly. Shoot for being godly. And God shares his feelings and communicates. And aren't you glad he did? That's what our goal should be. So we are more like God when we share our feelings, when we communicate, when we actually express these things. Because prayer, prayer then changes us. It allows me to be vulnerable. It allows me to communicate. And I can then use that everywhere else. See, if prayer is about relationship with God, then prayer cannot be just for asking for things. How many best friends would you have if all they did was call you when they needed something? They wouldn't be your best friend, would they? Imagine if your spouse only talked to you when they needed something. How would that make you feel? Not a very good spouse, would they? Right. Yeah, it has to be more than that. A relationship has to be bigger than that. And I suppose this is people's biggest problem with prayer. Again, we assume God is our genie. And he's just there for us when we need something or want something. 
And I understand this. Listen, I, I know we have to bring our needs to them, and we absolutely do. We're going to get there. This week, I had terrible shoulder pain. I hurt my shoulder again, and it was really bad. And when I was in the midst of that pain, the only thing I could think about is what? That pain. Sometimes in our life, that happens. Sometimes there are things so incredibly wrong or things that are so incredibly painful that, can, that seems to be the only thing we can talk about to God because that's the only thing going on. I was trying to... I, called Jessica after I messed my shoulder up. I was trying to talk to her. She's like, you want me to just let you go? Because I was just grunting. Like I really couldn't communicate because it was in so much pain. She was like, hey, let me just let you, let you deal with that. So sometimes you just got to deal with that. But that shouldn't be our, our life and our relationship with God. It shouldn't just be based on when I need something, when I want something. It should be much bigger, much more developed than that. And at times it will be like that. But it shouldn't only be that. Rather, the great thing is, is we have an entire Bible filled with amazing prayers. And so here's what we're going to talk about real quick. We're going to talk about prayer. Yeah, next slide. Yeah. Pray like the scriptures, pray with the scriptures, and pray the scriptures. Let's just walk through these real quick. Pray like the prayers in scriptures. First, prayer. Excuse me. It's through the scriptures we can learn how to pray. You probably knew this, but let's talk about it. If this is God communicating to us, we need to then read what he communicates in order to do what? Communicate back. Is there one side of communication if, if I'm not reading this, isn't it? If I'm just talking to him without reading what he's communicated to us, it's a one-sided conversation. But if I'm reading what he wrote, I'm learning about him, I'm understanding him, in order to then pray. And the great thing is throughout the Bible, we see all sorts of prayers. We can read the prayers of Jesus, which surely he must have known what to do, right? We can read the prayers of Paul. He seemed to be pretty close to, to God. How about G Mary, who raised Jesus? She prays. We can, we can see her, her song and her praise back to God. I mean, it's through the scriptures we can pray like the scriptures, looking at the models of the prophets and those that can help us. We also want to pray with the scriptures, right? That's where we allow the scriptures to speak to us. We allow God to communicate to us, prompt us, so then we can communicate back to him. And the truth is, if we're not convicted when we read the scriptures, then we're not reading it right. If you're not convicted when you read the scriptures, then put aside your King James Version, get another version you can understand. Because the scriptures are convicting to all of us. They challenge us. They provoke us. And there's nothing wrong with conviction. Just let's talk about this for a second. Conviction should lead to life change, not depression. Conviction should lead to life change, not depression. I caught myself thinking about prayer, and I could have went down this path of throwing a pity party and how hard it is and, well, nobody taught me how to pray. I, mean, I could come up with 100 excuses. I'd be way down here not doing what? Not praying. When I could have used that conviction to do what? Pray. What do you think is more useful and helpful? Praying. Right? But conviction, it prompts something. Conviction is God's way of letting us know that something's off. But God doesn't want to make you feel bad or feel guilty or feel shame. Now, of course, those feelings are real. And if you sin, shame should be included. We shouldn't get rid of that. Sometimes you need to sit in that shame. It's disgusting and it feels like it. It's supposed to. To let you know you shouldn't go there any longer. But listen, God doesn't want to beat you up and God doesn't need to beat you up. God gets absolutely nothing by making you feel bad. That's not his goal. 
Did you know that God does not get anything from that? He doesn't want you to wallow in your failures. He doesn't want you to get this victim mentality because he has already become the victor, the victim for our sin. He's taking care of that. So rather than we feel convicted, for instance, you go, I don't read my Bible enough. Okay, guess what you can do? Lord, sorry I haven't read my Bible good enough. Guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? Read my Bible. Boom, there it is. Done. Move on. We don't have to allow it and cause us to lead depression and all those other feelings because I don't know about you, but when I start feeling that way, I'll just walk away from everything. Like, what's on TV? Distract myself from what's really going on, right? So allow conviction, allow it to prompt you, listen, that's God talking, and then you talk back to him. Here's what's going on. Here's what I hear from you. Here's what I'm going to do. And work through that like any other conversation. So we allow God's word to prompt us to pray. And then lastly, well, we can pray the scriptures. And this is something I'm learning how to do better as well. Because what we may find shockingly is the things that we pray for look nothing like the things the people in the Bible pray for. Start looking at Paul's prayers. You'll be like, I don't know. What is, what is he talking about? How come he's not praying the stuff I pray for? And just remember, when you start reading the prayers of the Bibles, just don't assume they're healthier than us. The first century, there's no medicine. Is there no, no Tylenol? There's no Tylenol. There's no ibuprofen. They don't even have those things, right? So just remember, they're sick, but still read their prayers. Remember, it's not like they were richer than the 21st century. Were they first century people? No, so it's not like they didn't have needs, but still look at their prayers. We may find that our prayers are very much materialistic. They're very much health and wealth centered. As if we didn't live in the richest time, in the richest country the world has ever seen. Read the prayers of the scriptures. And if we, we read those, we can start praying them and it can teach us how to be vulnerable, how to share our feelings, how to express things to God. Like, look at this, Psalms 86 says this. You can pray this, right? Pray, hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. You ever felt that way? Of course, we all have. But have you ever expressed it? So that's not very manly. Remember, we're looking at godly, not manly, right? Godly. Express how you feel. Because this may prompt, well, how are you needy? Does that make sense? This can prompt you to start thinking through how you're needy and what you need. Or look at this one, Psalm 86.5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Now, what can this prompt you to do? We need to be forgiven for. We don't want to talk about that, do we? I got a secret. He already knows. He already knows. He already knows. So that's what we can share. Remember the Psalms or the prayer in the hymn book of Jesus. He quotes them all the time. The, old, the New Testament writers quote them all the time. Use the Psalms to start helping you. Start helping you develop the language to start sharing feelings and expressing yourselves. I mean, they are very raw. I guarantee if you haven't read through them, you'll read them and be like, I cannot believe they said like this stuff like this to God. Because they just express the dark stuff too. They lay it all out there. Because prayer, it doesn't change God, it changes us. Next slide. Yep, right there. It changes us, so it's us working our relationship out with him. So then how do we pray? Fair question. Jesus, of course, gives us a model. 
He tells us that this then is how you can pray. You can absolutely use that. Uh, looked at another one that you've probably been taught before if you've been in church. If not, that's okay too. But it's called Acts. Y'all heard that before? Yeah, good. We're going to walk through this because it's, it's very, very helpful. Here's the things. If you're saying, hey, I need to work on my prayer, I need to pray. Here are the things you could pray for. Super helpful. Daily, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. This is the one we already do all the time. Supplication is asking them for our needs. That's why this should be when? Last. Work your way through these ones and you will find this is how you will build your relationship with God. This is the relationship building part. And now that you understand who he is and he understands how you feel, then you start asking this. Because once you work yourself through this, you may find your list is a lot shorter here. And you may find some of the stuff you're asking for is ludicrous and you just might not even need to mention it. Does that make sense? When you remind yourself who he is and who you are, ah, tends to rub you. So Acts, let's walk through it. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration, this is, of course, goes directly from the teachings of Jesus when he says this. This then is how you should pray. Our follow in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, n- none of us use this word anymore at all. When's the last time you said hallowed in a sentence other than this? Yeah, you didn't. I understand that. It's hallowed. But remember that he is our father. This is important when we address God. He is our father in heaven. He's on the throne room of heaven. He is not our genie. It's not our genie in heaven. It's our father. So he loves us and he cares for us. But he is in the throne room. He is in heaven. He is still God. You got both there, God and father. But he is God. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to be set apart or sanctified. Make holy. We're speaking to you. Remember, the name back then, they, they possessed a character trait. So it's saying, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. Sanctified be your name. It's talking about the holiness of God. And do you think we need to pray to God to make him holy? No, no, no. You're starting off your prayer reminding yourself who is the holy one. Who is the righteous one? Who is the good one? So we start off by adoration, expressing who he is, expressing his love and respect and just wrapping all that up, the reverence of who he is, just reminding ourselves. Not that you don't already know, but a lot of times we just need to be reminded of what we already know. So we express that our Father who art in heaven, and we remember that. And then when we think about this hollowness or set apart or saint or um, of how holy God is, what would that immediately probably lead us to? In light of his holiness, how unholy I am, right? All right, so we have confession. Confession's the next part. It's our C. It'll show up there eventually. It's our C. Confession isn't just something that the Catholics do. Anybody here raised Catholic? Yeah, a couple of us, right. Now, so I, I, I wasn't raised Catholic. I just raised my hand to make everybody else feel better. I'm, I actually wasn't raised. I didn't want you to. Okay, yeah. No, but so confession isn't something just Catholics do. They're, they're more familiar with with it than we are. Confession is something that all Christians should do all the time. But rather than confessing to a priest, we confess to our high priest who hears us. So go back to the John, first John verse. Yeah, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Next verse. Matthew 6, 12, 14 through 15. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. So in light of a holy God, in light of his communication to us through his word, this would prompt and should prompt every single one of us to then 
confess our sin, not to wallow in it, not to feel bad about it, although shame and guilt is there, but to be forgiven and allow him to forgive it and feel that forgiveness. And that's what repentance is. It's turning from our sins. But I do ask when you pray, please stop praying for blanket forgiveness. Please stop saying, God, yeah, forgive me for those sins. I understand if you've named all the sins you've done, and you're like, and anything else. Because there's something important about confessing a sin. It's bitter and disgusting, isn't it? When you confess, Lord, I have been greedy and selfish. If I say that, how does that, it's weird, right? It tastes bitter. It's, It's just words. But this thing comes out of my mouth where I'm feeling it and owning it. Feel that. Own that. Because that's what it is. But then we give it to him. We don't, we don't need to stay there, but we feel that. And when we confess specific sins we're dealing with, there's something about it. It, 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 it just makes you feel like you own it. You're repenting. It's, it's this, I'm identifying what's really going on, Lord. Now here, take it from me. And so we confess, and that leads us then to being able to, when we ask for forgiveness, we then ask, I think we think about all the people we need to forgive in that time as well. Jesus says we're forgiven if we forgive. C.S. Lewis helps out here. Who has trouble forgiving? All of us, right? Yeah, good. All of us do. He says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's hard, isn't it? Remember, he has forgiven all those excusable you can't believe and they shouldn't have and I could. Yep, he's forgiven all of that. And when you start listing those out and you start feeling that shame, you're going, Lord, I cannot believe I'm this old still doing that. Why? Then he brings that person to your mind and you go, oh, okay, Lord, I forgive them. I'm going to work on forgiving them anyways. We're going to work through this together. That's how that process works. When we think about forgiveness, it's automatic, like, oh, I just got to forgive them for what they've done. But when you're constantly laying before the Lord how you are not perfect and how you need to repent and your sins, you are reminded of how unrighteous you are. So how dare I hold someone else to a standard I can't even maintain? That's what helps you work through all of that. In light of who Jesus is, in light of who you are. And if you are there and you're like, listen, Brian, I have nothing to confess then just tell God you're perfect. Just own it. Be like, God, I'm perfect, and I got it all under control. And then read Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and come back to this confession part because you'll be right back there in a minute. And then we have Thanksgiving. Now, perhaps Jesus, he he doesn't list this out in the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps he assumes that after a time of confession, we'd go to Thanksgiving. I'm not sure, but Paul surely tells us to do it. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayers and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. We should express our thanks, express our gratefulness for all those answered and unanswered prayers. How thankful are you he did not answer some of those prayers you prayed? You were all 16 once. Some of you are 16. You're like, thank goodness he did not answer those prayers. But look at what Paul thanked God for. Check this out, 1 Corinthians He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you. When was the last time you thanked God for his grace? You could be there for a while, couldn't you? 
He said, in Christ Jesus, for in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kind of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Look at what he says in Colossians 1, 3 through 4. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. When was the last time you thanked God for the faith that other people had? The faith that you have or the love other people had? I mean, he thanks God for some amazing thing. And I wonder if what we thank him for then shows the appreciation of what we're actually grateful for. That probably works and it rhymes. I should have thought that through. That would have been really good. Moving on. But if the only thing we're thanking for him is material wealth and health, is that your picture of all God is? Wealth and health. That's not the gospel. So when we thank, are we thanking him for spiritual things? Are we thinking for the things that we know is true, of a grace and a salvation, all of these things, or is it just the other stuff? And then, of course, supplication. We'll walk through it, but you already know how to do this, right? This is when we ask God for the things we need. But we may get challenged about what Jesus tells us to ask for. Matthew 6.10 says, we ask, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Please know that this is the number one and primary thing you should be asking God for. When you ask him for your supplication, your needs, this is your need, that his kingdom comes and his will is done. And this is the most important thing. This is asking for God's reign, his kingdom, God's reign to come through and break through in your life. That he is the king, he is the one in charge, he will lead, and you will do what he wants you to do. Similarly, in heaven, when God speaks, the actions are done. That when God speaks, the actions will be done in your life. That God's reign will be manifested through your life. And I know we get confused about God's will, but it's, it's really here. This is the easiest way to understand it. It says, your will be done. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's explaining it. Your kingdom come, that's God's will. God's kingdom, God's reign, that's what Jesus is about. He's the king. God's will be done on this earth. That is his will for you and for me. God's will is for you to follow Jesus. God's will is for you to be transformed by Jesus. And God's will is for you to be on board with the mission of Jesus. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for every single one of us. And the reason why this is important is because he promises us when we get that, the rest will come. At least that's what he says, Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But the problem is we want all these things as well without his kingdom, don't we? We want our will to be done, our kingdom to come, and that's why we're so caught up with this part, because we're ignoring this part. He will take care of all that you need if you're taking care of your part of following his will. This is why we spend so much time here asking him for things, because we're neglecting this part. But he says, I will give you what you need. I will take care of you. It will come. Isn't that refreshing? Like, it, it will happen. But we're asking him so much because we're ignoring him. So, we seek his kingdom first. He also says this. Pray this one. Supplication. Next verse. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a good one, because this is where you remind yourselves, you know, those sins that you like to do or those sins that you don't want to do, that you like to do, that you know you shouldn't do. You all have any of those? Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, fine. I got everybody to agree about something. We sin. Okay, we know that. This is when we seriously go, Lord, I don't want to do it today. I'm going to meet that person in the office. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me not, be, help me not yell at them. Help me not, help me not think mean things, Lord. Help, Lord, help me not look at that today. Lord, help me not drink that today. Lord, Lord, help me. It's where we go to him and we confess, Lord, I need your help. And then he says this, Matthew 6, 11, and give us today our daily bread. Now listen, we can skip this part. Does it say bread or steak? And if your fridge is already full, go ahead and skip this and go right back to thanks. You see, we forget he'll give us what we need, not what we, we want. And we have fridges now. They needed God for bread. How many of you need God for bread, honestly? It's on your counter right now. You already got it. A couple loaves in the freezer too, right? God does care about our needs. But let's separate our needs and our wants. Because this right here in America should send us straight back to thanks. Going, oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be born in the 21st century. So when we pray this way, it helps us develop our relationship with him. And we will find that we'll be praying about the things that he cares about, the things we need to care about, rather than just asking him for more money, another promotion, or keep our kids safe. It's about him working in our lives. Because prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. But our relationship aspect with them. And I guess if I were to just lay it out there, the biggest problem in prayer is that we don't really want to change. We want to stay here. We're comfortable. We want it to stay the same. And we just want pleasures. But I suggest get uncomfortable. Just like you have to if you want that marriage to get better. You got to get uncomfortable, don't you? If you want any relationship to get better, you got to get uncomfortable. You got to go out there. And I suggest you do the same with, with God. And so, in closing, I ask, how's your relationship with God? How is it really? I mean, I know He loves you, and I know He gave Himself for you. Oh, that's great. But how is your relationship with Him? You know a way you can know? Look at your relationship with other people. He tells us this Matthew 12 30. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. There is a priority. Love God with your absolutely everything first, and then love other people. But here's the secret. When you love God with your absolutely everything, where will it overflow to? Your other relationships, your other people, because you're going to be mean and nasty. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's hard to love other people, isn't it? If you don't think so, you don't know a lot of people. I'll introduce you to some of them, okay? And get hard to love other people. But look what John tells us. First John 4, 9, he says this. We love, excuse me, uh, John 4, 19 through 20. says we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a, correct. You cannot hate other people and love God. Got to deal with that. Our relationships around us reflects how our relationship with him is. If we're closed off and distanced to other people, I already know that you're closed off and distant to God. 
I just assume that. So think through those things. You can't hide it. Think through how you are with others. You can't hide your relationship with God. It isn't as private as you think. Because your relationship with others reflects your relationship with him. And your care for others is a reflection of of what you're learning and how you're learning to care from God. And the great thing about that is prayer builds that relationship, folks. Prayer and that communication and that honesty and that vulnerability, all of that gets worked through prayer. And especially men, ladies, I mean, I'm not a lady, I can't speak for you, but for men, and I know it's hard for some of you, read about King David, one of the greatest warriors ever, and about as he killed bears and lions. Have you done, Goliath, have you all done that? Right, he has a high man. We're like, all right, he's pretty manly. We got that. Yet read what he says to the Lord. Read his vulnerability. Read his feelings. You can be manly and share your feelings, and it just, it hurts when I see other guys don't know this. And we're afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be. Read some of the greatest men in the Bible and read how they talk to God. So think about that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just corporately asking you to help us in prayer. Father, we know that prayer is powerful. We know it's effective. We know that you hear our prayers and you want us to pray in order to build a relationship with you, to talk with you. Father, we know that in prayer we can start a relationship with you. We can continue it, develop it, strengthen our relationship with you. Father, we ask that you forgive us for our lack of prayers. Perhaps our weak prayers, or even our selfish prayers. Father, we ask that this week you help us prioritize prayer. Through your spirit and in light of your grace, we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.